All right. Good morning. Welcome back to Middle Tech's Friday update. Hope everyone is having a great start to their Friday. Uh, this morning, we've got some good stories to talk about, everything from crypto uh, to data and then some other things uh, kind of related to those different stories. Um, we also want to start with just this week in tech history. Uh, we've got kind of a significant moment in tech history, and that is that the bite shop opens, and that's in 1975. And the reason that's significant uh, is because that was one of the first retail computer stores in the world, and they ordered the first 50 computers from Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak's fledgling Apple computer company. Uh, so effectively, what they did by ordering those computers um, was become a huge influence on Steve Jobs and how they uh, release those computers to the public because originally Jobs just wanted to release those computers as kits right. that the users put together. So they made them deliver them as one full unit. Just talking about the bite shop. It's a pretty interesting I, little story. Yeah, I didn't know about that. That's interesting. Yeah, so originally, I don't, I don't know if you've uh, ever watched the Apple uh, or the Steve Jobs documentary, but in the beginning of it, it talks about them wanting to deliver the Apple One, which is like their first personal computer as a kid that the users had to like build themselves. I mean, could you imagine yeah. trying to do that with an Apple computer? That's an uh, interesting parallel to um, like the history of cars. Like before Ford, you know, you bought pieces of cars and, and put them together and Ford kind of made it all one kit with, I believe with whichever one was right before the Model T. I don't know if it was Model A. Um, but the interesting parallel there, maybe that's how technology functions. It needs to be easily consumable. One thing which for sure, I think we'll actually talk about a little bit today as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, because of them ordering those first 50 computers and pushing for them to be one solid unit that essentially kicked off the revolution for the personal computer. Crazy. So they, they have it. How's it going this morning, Evan? Pretty good. How about y'all? Good. Wonderful. Well, cool. Let's uh, dive on into these stories. This first one we got here is that uh, Kickstarter has made some news in the crypto space this week by mm -hmm. announcing that they're moving the core service of their platform to the blockchain, um, which makes a lot of sense when you think about, you know, trying to crowdsource some sort of, whether it's a company or whether it's a product, uh, raising money and then um, releasing that money to whoever is the beneficiary of it. Seems like something that should just exist on the blockchain. What do you guys think of this? I like their model of basically maintaining the user experience, but in the background, the blockchain being introduced. I think that's going to be really important. I think it's going to be a recurring theme you start to see is that the best companies to use blockchain are actually uh, existing companies. So the companies like DocuSign, um, many of the trading platforms, um, you know, there'll be companies that just begin to use blockchain in the background and uh, that uh, the user experience won't change. So I think you'll start to see that more. Yep. Yeah. That's kind of what I was hinting at um, earlier. Like we've talked about this with crypto in general. Um, you know, the, the average user doesn't care about blockchain or really even understand it. So being able to integrate it while maintaining a current user experience or at least one that makes more sense than what some of the current stuff out there is um, will be super important. If we zoom out, though, I think this makes sense for Kickstarter. Anybody who's looked into Web3 or gone down a Web3 rabbit hole knows that, like, uh, community ownership is a big piece of it and crowdfunding is a big piece of that. You know, everybody puts in their their crypto, their tokens, whatever it is, to, to pull it together to reach a common mission. And then whoever does that, you own a percentage of that project um, or of that token. Um, so that's just that's crowdfunding at its core. 
Kickstarter was Web2 crowdfunding. So it's interesting that they're moving to this. Um, I, I'm interested if they will also eventually adopt kind of that Web3 ethos of instead of, you know, you raise the money and then you get a gift or you get a version of the product or, you know, whatever it is right now on Kickstarter, you raise the money and you get a, a portion of the company or a portion of what mm. the project turns out to be. Um, that's where the difference is between Kickstarter and Web3 now. Blockchain is a great step towards that. We'll see if they, they go all in eventually. Yeah, something I wanted to touch on too that I want Evan to kind of give his thoughts on because he's been talking about it a good bit recently is that this is going to be a protocol. So this is not going to be something that users are going to be able to, to tell it's even happening. It's just going to be happening <laughs> in the background. Just like, you know, there's uh, the, the same protocols that the internet runs on today, that email runs on today, SMS, all of those are protocols that were invented early in the internet days. This is simply just going to be a protocol. So Evan, I just wanted you to touch on that because I, I've heard you talk about that before. Uh, you know, people just like going crazy about this protocol, but at the end of the day, all it is is just how something is actually going to be running in the background. You're not going to really notice it. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Nate described it earlier or later is, you know, the point of protocols is really for the technical developers to take something that is really a base layer, very simple to build on and kind of uh, just release something that allows them to have the freedom to create new experiences uh, but that mm -hmm. core underlying goal of the protocol to maybe send communication messages or uh, document and uh, create a ledger or um, uh, the internet protocol to send information from one node to another. You know, these are very simple protocols mm -hmm. that can be easily built upon um, and the consumers just don't care. It's more of a developer thing to basically create the most simple underlying protocol possible and then build on top of that uh, unique experiences. And so we've seen that throughout history and, um, you know, we'll see what uh, this protocol does. Uh, there's a lot of protocols popping up right now. Everybody's trying to be the one that wins, um, given that blockchain yeah. is kind of this new technology, but we'll, uh, we'll see. This one's kind of interesting. Uh, it seems like the blockchain they're choosing um, has uh, some uh, sustainability initiatives behind it. Um, it doesn't mean yep. that. Um, that's what the protocol is, but I think this blockchain is unique. That's um, ultimately uh, setting a precedent on the protocol into things. Yeah. So the blockchain is the CELO blockchain, I assume is how you'd pronounce that. Um, and they use a consensus mechanism that is claimed to be carbon negative. Um, so if we hear more about that, then we'll we'll mention that. Um, but yeah, that's good stuff. That's uh, that's a good signal for Web three, I think. Yeah, Since I saw a bunch of people. Complaining about and you know sounding the alarm about them moving to blockchain because of the environmental concerns, and yeah, they're they're step ahead there I'm sure. Yeah, the rebuttals are really interesting. It was like at least with this, like we know every every time the protocol's used, it's X carbon, and we can openly see what Kickstarter's using. Whereas right now, do we know what kind of energy Kickstarter's using? Do we know what kind of energy Fortnite is using? People are using that example. It's like yeah, this this could be better or worse. Like. It's it's not inherently bad that something might move to the blockchain for for the climate. Yeah, this seems to be where uh, a lot of the criticism criticism is moving around blockchain is the environmental impacts. But it seems like we could yeah. be able to really think about what's current. We just don't have the insight into it. Yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to this next story, and that is that Roku and Google reach an unknown agreement. Uh, this is mostly around YouTube, who wanted the preferential treatment on the Roku ecosystem. Uh, Evan, I want you to cover this one because I know you've been studying Roku for a long time and uh, even a Roku investor, I believe. So give us the lowdown on what's going on here. Yeah, I mean, so Roku has a very dominant position in the uh, connected TV industry. 
And Roku is just a single app within the Roku uh, ecosystem and marketplace. However, obviously YouTube's a massive application. It's probably where I mo watch most of my TV. And what Roku does with most of the partners is they come to an agreement on rev share. So most of their partners make money through advertising or through subscriptions. And so if you buy a subscription through Roku, Roku gets a cut of that, just like in the Apple store, in the app store with Apple. Uh, and then if you have an, a, a platform that has advertising based revenue, for instance, like a TV uh, provider and an ad comes on every ad Roku gets a percentage of that revenue. And so what Google tried to slide in and do was basically strong on the strong arm them and say, Hey, we want preferential treatment over all of your other customers, uh, probably due to our size and our reach. Uh, and so a few things that they're wanting was they wanted additional data on Roku users that Roku isn't giving anybody else. Mm -hmm. And they wanted preferential search treatment. So like if you speak into your Roku, uh, remote or you type in, in the search bar for, let's say, uh, some kind of video, then YouTube wanted the default to YouTube. But also if you were to request some kind of music search, then Google wanted to default to YouTube music within Roku. Um, if that search was happening while that user is in YouTube. So really what Google is trying to do here is just try to make sure that uh, their user experience and the data that they're collecting um, is what they're used to. However, I think YouTube is kind of in a different situation here where they're not like the dominant platform. It's not like the internet. Uh, they're on TVs now and Roku is the dominant platform. And so Roku does have uh, a bit of an upper hand here because they have the largest dominant market share of users within the TV industry. So it's actually unknown what the agreement is. However, we do know some of the terms that were being negotiated around. Um, so we'll have to see what ends up happening, but they did reach an agreement. YouTube <clears throat> and YouTube TV are going to remain on Roku, uh, which was unknown for a while. People were thinking that they were going to pull YouTube and YouTube TV from Roku. Yeah, uh, I think that really honestly covers what needs to be talked <laughs> about with this. But I think that the underlying kind of uh, um, thing to take away from this is just when you have someone in the market that has established such dominance at the way we interact with everything uh, as it's coming to TVs. If you have a Roku TV, that's how you're interacting with YouTube. That's how you're interacting with HBO Max, any of, you know, Netflix, any of those that gives them the upper hand uh, when dealing in these negotiations. And I think definitely look for those types of players, uh, if not in TVs and other spaces, who's mediating uh, that relationship between the, the consumer uh, and between those companies who are offering those services. And I think that's typically a pretty a pretty good bet if you're trying to make an investment or see who's going to be a, a market mover here uh, in the coming years. This situation is eerily similar to what happens on cable sometimes. If you guys ever see those ads where it's like, if you're a Spectrum subscriber, you're going to lose CBS next week. Call Spectrum <laughs> now and tell them to keep CBS. And in the background, it's a, it's a contract uh, negotiation between CBS and Spectrum and, you know, CBS wants X dollars to be on the platform and Spectrum doesn't want to pay it. So it's like, that's such bad user experience, you know, to, to be the opposite of what we were talking about earlier. Like that, that's just my thought. Like this is just that same type of negotiation in the digital world. It seems like we're not past that. Yeah. It's, it's the same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, let's cover this last story here. And that is that the, uh, WikiLeaks founder, is going to be extradited back to the U S so that's, uh, Julian Assange. Uh, who in uh, 2010 and 2011 made public thousands of classified documents uh, from the U.S. government. 
So Evan, kind of give us a, a rundown on what's going on. Yeah, pretty big deal here. So he's been basically running from uh, U.S. officials for since 2010, since 2011. Um, and this is the first time that a country will grant um, an extra extradition uh, to the U.S., which means that now U.S. officials can take him and put him in a prison in the United States and, and give a trial here in the United States uh, for his, what Logan mentioned earlier, leaking classified documents uh, to the public via uh, WikiLeaks. A lot of those documents were around uh, the war going on at the time uh, in Iraq. And some of our, um, I guess you'd say, more controversial uh, decisions over there, uh, videos of drone strikes uh, that were classified, um, documents related to our strategy, just all kinds of things, weapons um, that he thought the public should know about because we were making serious mistakes and um, putting innocent people, civilians in danger um, in those countries. Uh, and really, he he did leak a lot of, I think, important data. However, it's, it's illegal. Um, so uh, we'll see what happens. He'll probably get some prison time. Uh, we don't know how much. The U.S. says it's going to be like four to eight years. However, uh, his lawyer thinks it could be you know, a life sentence. So we'll see what ends up happening. But this is a pretty big deal. This is a huge story over the past 10 years. And this is, you know, up there with, uh, probably up there with, um, uh, who's the, I'm blanking on the other hacker. I know who you're talking about. I'm blanking on his name at the moment too. He's been on uh, a couple of different podcasts. Nate, any help here with remembering his name or anybody that's listening along in oh. the comments hit below? Yeah, he's in Russia right now. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dang it! What is it? <laughs> Huge name. What a horrible new show. Wow. Let us know. <laughs> we we, we, we all know who we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Well, if it comes to us, we'll, we'll come back to that. Cool. Well, that covers the three stories we want to talk about. Just some other headlines that have popped up that I think are worth at least mentioning. Uh, maybe not having a full combo on. Uh, Snowden. Edward Snowden. Yeah. Thank you, Evan. Yeah. Man, bro, coming in clutch there. Love that. <laughs> Um, so some other headlines that are worth noting here, um, life 360, which is the app that, uh, allows parents to track their kids movements, which is weird in the first place. I don't know. I mean, good Lord, if you're having to track your kids movements, like rethink it, (laughs) I think it's probably the message there, but that app, uh, is selling all of the precise location data, um, to data aggregators. And that's really no surprise to me if the app has free services, then as the saying goes, if it's free, you're the product. Um, Didn't so most, UK use Life 360 for a while as like their for like during safety. COVID times? No, I thought I when like my senior year they implemented it as like an on-campus safety app, and they had some custom features built in where you could like call the UK police and stuff. Hmm. That makes sense. But, yeah, yeah, that'd make more sense for I guess the campus to be doing it. Anyway, I just wanted to call that out because uh, yeah, don't ever assume that a, a service that you're using for free is not selling your data in some way, shape, or form. Uh, yeah. And also, just kind of uh, in case you missed a headline, this was from last week, um, but a, a pretty huge headline that I was really excited about. Uh, Commonwealth Fusion Systems, which is a nuclear fusion company, uh, announced that they raised $1.8 billion, uh, led by Tiger Global, which is a huge player uh, in the in the uh, funding space right now. And uh, Bill Gates is also part of that round as well. So that's a, the largest funding round ever for a nuclear fusion company. And that's three times larger than the previous record, which is 500 million, uh, raised by Helion, which is one of the companies that I discussed pretty heavily in the weekend thoughts, uh, around nuclear fusion. So just exciting stuff to be kind of watching along, uh, following along with. Um, that, that brings 
Commonwealth Fusion Solutions total funding to four billion. So I think we're uh, we're priming up to either get a big disappointment in Fusion or see some big news here in the next couple of years. So we'll see we'll see how it goes. Uh, other than that, um, this coming week we've got a weekend thoughts coming out. Nate, you want to let us know what that's about? Yeah, TJ, just doing the uh, weekend thoughts this week. It's about uh, social media and you know the fact that it kind of is all over our lives now and. It might even get more pervasive in the metaverse. So interesting mm. conversation there. I could see that. I could see that exciting stuff there. Um, Middle Tech team will actually be on our team retreat this weekend. We're super pumped about that. Nate is actually in Kentucky uh, this morning. So we're all excited mm-hmm. to get together, do some big planning for season five. Uh, and then on Monday, we'll have an episode coming out with Lamar Wilson, which will be our second to last episode of the season. We talked with him about Bitcoin that conversation quickly became almost more philosophical after we kind of laid the foundation of what Bitcoin is, why Bitcoin is important. It kind of moved into more of a philosophical conversation. So we're excited for you guys to listen to that. And then the last episode of the season will be just like what we did last season. We're going to get me, Nate, Evan, and TJ together, talk about everything that went on this season and where we plan on going into season five. We've got some really big announcements coming up and we're all super excited about it. So Other than that, um, we'll see you guys next week. Hope everyone has a great Friday and thanks for tuning in. See y'all. See y'all. See ya.